Hello and welcome again to another episode of the Highland Bridge Builders podcast. This is Kyle and I'm excited to say that we've actually made it to episode 10. In those 10 episodes we've had a lot of great teachers share with us a lot of great things and we've actually made about 500 listens which for us I think is pretty great. It means that about 50 people are out there listening each week which is really awesome. One of those I'd like to give a little shout out to is Russ Terman. Russ does all the videos and PowerPoints and AV things here at Highland. Uh, he's a super great guy. He also is helping us uh, tonight with the Night of Praise. Uh, he works harder than just about anyone I know and always does a great job. So Russ, if you're out there, hey man. So this morning, uh, we have Winston Atnip. Winston is one of my favorite teachers, always does a really awesome job, and he's going to start us off with a series on the book of Galatians. So he'll be looking at chapter one, and I'm really excited about that. So without further ado, here's Winston. Good morning. <clears throat> so today we're going to talk about uh, the series that we're in the middle of is called Christian Freedom, or the, uh, that we're starting today is called Christian Freedom, and uh, it's going to be out of Galatians, the book of Galatians. We're going to go through chapter by chapter. Uh, the first lesson we're going to do today is going to be from Galatians 1, and it's going to be called Freed by Grace. So. Worldwide, uh, 84% of people, humans, claim to uh, believe in a religion. So claim to be a part of, we can say maybe like um, membership in an established belief system, which attempts to make sense of the situation in which we find ourselves, right? Um, Of the remaining 16%, a large portion are maybe what they would say spiritual but not religious, but most of them are Chinese, so they wouldn't say it in English. Um, Meaning that they're adherents to a, uh, the spiritual denomination of the religion of selfism, right? They're still religious. Um, The tiny minority that remains, uh, who would call themselves atheists, are members of a competing branch of selfism, which is the non-spiritual denomination, right? But to be clear, they both set themselves up as gods. Um, so they believe, they do believe in a God, they just may have made themselves the God. We see that no matter who they are or where they come from, the vast majority, if not every single person on earth, uh, are taking part in this desperate endeavor to reconcile ourselves to God, right? Or whatever power we're appealing to to make sense of the world. So whether it's the estimated like 33 million gods of the Hindus or the one god of Islam, the story is the same. Um, People are desperately attempting to make themselves right with God, right? Uh, I don't know what it is that drives us to do this, this like feeling that we've got to do something, you know, it's up to us. Um, Probably knowing people and knowing myself, it's pride, right? there's a very good chance that it's pride. That motivates a lot of what we do. Uh, This idea though is that if we do more good stuff or follow this or that path and check all the right boxes, then we will be, uh, that that will be enough to reconcile us, to make us, you know, if we're Buddhists, like one with the path. I don't know the technical stuff about it, but um, 
Or if we're Muslims, it's kind of like uh, putting bad things and good things on a scale. But it's all about what you do. That's, that's every person, every religion, including selfism. It's all about what you do. And, and the, the thing about that is that our feeble attempts to reconcile ourselves with God have been like a huge driving force in history, right? So think about the great movements of, of religions and migrations and invasions and all that, or a lot of that, can be traced back to this idea that something's not right in the world, and I've got the idea to fix it. Buddy, let me tell you, is what everyone thinks. You know, you just got to do this. And by the way, I'm going to kill you and your family if, if you don't agree with me, etc. You know, so <clears throat> that's what's so radical about being a follower of Christ, right? Because we, if we're all Christians in here, we reject that. This idea, we reject this idea that, that, that it's up to us, right? If we're followers of Christ, if we are Christians, we believe that it is not up to us to reconcile ourselves to God because, and this is what we call the good news, God, the author and sustainer of existence, has reconciled himself to us. It's revolutionary. It upsets the apple cart. Uh, historically, it has made a lot of people very angry, and it continues to do so today, right? The thing is, this idea, the prideful idea that we have to do stuff to reconcile ourselves with God is present both inside and outside of what the world would refer to as Christianity. So if you recall, that was what the whole uh, dust-up that we call the Reformation was about. Uh, by the way, if you're unaware, we're coming up on the 500th anniversary of uh, Martin Luther's 95 Theses in a little, a little over a month now. So it's going to be a blast. Uh, the church has been plagued, though, over the years with countless false teachings that have attempted to add to the gospel, right? So one of those false teachings, and the one that the Reformation was mainly started about, was this uh, remains the current official Roman Catholic teaching that we are saved in part by our own good works. The problem with this teaching is that it denies the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus, right? It's the same problem, by the way, that exists with the Catholic doctrine of purgatory. Um, basically, yes, Jesus was important, but his sacrifice was not quite enough. That's the position you're going to take. You know, you can doubt the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Emmanuel, the train of whose robe fills the temple who breathes smoke and coals of fire, but I'm going to stand way over here while you do it, right? Watch out for the lightning. Basically, I, the fear of God prohibits me from doubting sufficiency of the sacrifice. Um, and also, literally, what the Bible says repeatedly. But this is not just a problem in the church now, right? In fact, we've been fighting this, this uh, continual resurgence of this particular twisting of the gospel for almost coming up on 2,000 years now. <clears throat> One of the first times we see mention of it is in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Now, the Galatia to which Paul refers to is a Roman province. Uh, which would have included the churches in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. So the, these are names that are familiar from Acts and from Paul's other letters that he kind of makes references to these churches. <clears throat> so this is Galatians chapter 1. It's not very long, so I'm just going to read the whole thing. 
Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person in the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They, were, they, were, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So Paul here, especially in the first part of that chapter, is confronting the issue that we've been talking about. Right? He says in verse 6, uh, this is Galatians 1, by the way, uh, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So as an aside, the word trouble here, they, they're, he says some are troubling you, um, is more intense than we think of the word trouble. Usually it's the same word that uh, is used to describe Herod's emotional state when the, he's told that there's a, that there's a king in, in Judah, right? And Herod said, I thought I was the king of Judah. So it's this state of intense emotional distress. Uh, so what we learn from this passage is there are some people who have been going among the churches in Galatia somehow distorting the gospel. How are they distorting it? Um, so we have to look backwards. At least it's backwards in the customary order of the New Testament. Um, we're not sure if uh, the Galatians, if the letter Galatians was written before the events of Acts 15 or after but they're describing the same situation. So we're gonna look at Acts 15 really quick. I'm gonna read the beginning of it, just so we get some context about what's going on. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
and Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and ask the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them in order to, for them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So the situation in Galatia is that there are people coming behind Paul and going among the churches teaching that the sacrifice of Christ is not enough. So they're teaching that, the, that new Gentile Christians must also follow, follow Jewish ritual and law in order to be made right with God, specifically and especially circumcision. Uh, Paul condemns these teachers back in Galatians in very harsh language. He says to let them be accursed. So the word accursed in Greek is anathema, which you may have heard. It means that Paul considers the teachers, um, people who preach a false gospel, basically to be marked for destruction. So objects of God's wrath. In this case, the way they're distorting the gospel is by preaching that to be reconciled to God, certain works outside of the gospel are necessary. So this type of teaching is sneaky, right? Uh, it's not always obvious because it goes so well with our desire to feel important and special. Um, so we easily swallow the lie that we have something to add to our salvation, right? That we, be, we bring at least something to the table. The sad part, of course, is that we are important and special, uh, but only because God values us as such and not because we warrant it on our own. The value that we have is imparted to us by God. <clears throat> so in Acts, the church fathers have gotten together in Jerusalem and they render a verdict. They say that this teaching, this adding to the gospel, is polluting it. It's polluting the gospel. Specifically, Peter says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Saved through grace. Praise God, we are saved through grace. So through the grace freely extended to us, we are freed out from under the yoke that Peter mentions. The yoke of the law, which he says, neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. So think about, what, what is he referencing? He's referencing the, like the first 39 books of the Bible, right? The story of the Israelites attempting to follow the law and just getting 
just getting crushed repeatedly. You know, the, the Old Testament is just the story of Israel failing. It's brutal. It, like, occasionally there'll be a period where they are following the law for like 40 years. And then the whole rest of the time is them running and worshiping Baal, setting up Asherah poles, uh, sacrificing to Dagon, um, disobeying God, disobeying God, disobeying God, and God crushing them and crushing them and saying, I told you this would happen if you didn't, right? They were not able to follow the law. Guess what? No one is, right? So that was what the sacrifices were about. God knew that they weren't going to be able to follow the law. So he set up this system that they might be saved anyway. So before that grace, this grace that lifts the yoke off of us was extended, we were exposed, as it were, to the the full and unshielded righteous judgment, right? We were out in the open. The full and unshielded righteous judgment and wrath of the living God. It's not a place you want to be exposed. You and I were trapped under the immense, unbearable weight of sin and judgment and death. I mean, imagine that, weight, that, that yoke on your shoulders that Peter's talking about. It's too heavy. You can't bear it. It's not a fight. It's not, maybe you'll win if you try hard enough. I mean, your spine's just going to telescope. You know, you're on the floor. It's over. You lost. So did I. You and I were trapped under this unbearable weight. Right? In Matthew 7, Jesus sums up what's required of us under this yoke. It's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's said all of this stuff. He says, you've heard that you should not commit adultery. I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart, right? Don't. Don't be angry. You've heard it said, don't commit murder, but I tell you, don't be angry, or you've committed murder. And then he sums it all up at the end of that, at the end of Matthew 7. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the law. Can you do that? Right? If you can't do that, um, well, the law is sometimes described as the hammer of God. If you can't do that, you're going to get the hammer. (laughs) The law is the hammer of God speeding down on us to put us to a well-deserved end. And at the last second, we are freed out from under the crushing weight, and Jesus, the Lamb, takes our place under the hammer. Not because of what we have done or because of who we are or because of what we deserve, but because God is love, and this is how he shows it. Now, on the one hand, this is an indisputable truth. On the one hand, we have verses, on the other hand, we have verses like the one we just mentioned, where Jesus commands us to be perfect. And in Luke 14, where Jesus says, like, uh, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And James 2, where James says that faith without works is dead. Um, there's a little bit of a tension here. Martin Luther was a fan of Galatians, uh, but he was not a fan of James. 
In fact, at one point he said, uh, I almost feel like throwing Jimmy in the stove. Um, well, we can't throw Jimmy in the stove. We have to live with this tension between we are saved by grace, fundamentally. That's a true. Also, faith without works is not faith. It doesn't exist, right? There's a tension within Christianity, and it's an ancient tension. And it's caused a lot of people a lot of problems, but the truth is it's a tension that testifies to a marvelous truth. This truth is that we are simultaneously freed from under the law and called to obey the law. Do you see how the first empowers the second? How our freedom empowers our obedience? Right, so it doesn't matter what we did on the weekend. Doesn't matter what we did Friday night at 2 a.m. on the internet. Right? The weight of that was on you. Whatever you've done this week, whatever you did last month, the weight of that was on you, but it is on you no longer. Right? You were being crushed by the chains of sin, but Jesus has taken that weight upon himself, and you're now free. So if you feel like you've been crushed, get up. Get up, Christian. Keep fighting. Jesus has taken the weight. It's not yours anymore. Jesus has taken all the wrath of God. There is no wrath left for you. There's none left. Get up. Keep fighting. Before we, were, before we were freed by grace, we were crushed under the unbearable weight of the demands of a holy God. Now that God has taken the weight from our shoulders, we are free to pursue holiness and perfection unconstrained by our sin and shame and doubt. When we fall as we do, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to get up again and continue to run the race. As we pursue Christ, we find ourselves, through the power of the Spirit, becoming more and more like Him. Until that day when we see not as we do now, through a mirror darkly, but face to face. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We don't have words for it. Thank you that that weight is no longer ours, but it's borne by the Christ. It's beyond our understanding beyond our comprehension, but we don't have to understand it. We just have to believe it. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Winston for a lesson here on Galatians 1. Next week we'll be back with Galatians chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and read that, Galatians is a pretty quick book. There's only six chapters, and each chapter is pretty short, so you should be able to read along as we go through this series. Hope you're having a great week. Hope the rest of your week is excellent. We will see you next week. Thanks.